Good morning. Hoping that uh, the nine days are finishing for everyone without uh, difficulty and smoothly, God willing, and wishing everyone an easy and meaningful fast tonight, as it is just before Tisha B'Av. This week we will be discussing Pashas Vayaschanan, the concept of Eicha. We'll probably mention Shabbos Nachamu briefly, and the title for today's class is The Perils rewards of Jewish leadership, meaning both the perils and the rewards. This month, the month of Av, is anonymously sponsored in Hapar Satov to Rabbi Akiva and his wife families for their teaching and sharing Torah. May all our learning be a merit for all our children and grandchildren to find their Shaduchim with clarity and speedily and together with abundant shalom bias, as well as a refuah shalema for all in need. And I will add a geula shalema v'imhira v'yameinu. Most of us have been in a situation where we have been offered or considered taking a leadership role. Often these opportunities exist in nonprofit work such as schools, shuls, or yeshivas. What likely goes through our minds when we ponder getting involved is the cost benefit of our participation. In addition to the typical considerations of time that we will need to spend, energy that we will need to expend, and our conviction as to the importance of the project at hand, we likely also contemplate a deeper philosophical question. Are we average people required, required by morality or Hashem, so to speak, to undertake such responsibilities. Additionally, what about the negative components of leadership in terms of how other people may complain or make demands on our time, energy, and patience? Simply put, what does the Torah say about an individual's obligation to engage in leadership despite its many pitfalls? Right, so we have this notion that, yeah, we really should do something uh, because, you know, the jobs need to get done in a school, a school, a shul, some organization of charity, the yeshiva, etc. But at the same time, we know of the great difficulties encountered by leaders. And the question becomes, am I supposed to get involved? What's my obligation? How do I determine whether or not to get involved? And with all of that in mind, we're going to now discuss the paragon of leadership for the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu, and one of the very perplexing topics in the Torah related to Moshe Rabbeinu. The fact is that Moshe Rabbeinu is barred from entering Eretz Israel. The Torah is very clear in several places that the reason Moshe is banned for the incident uh, the reason that Moshe is banned from Eretz Israel is for the incident of the waters of Meriva and specifically not sanctifying Hashem. As it says in Parshas Chukas, but Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron, because you did not have emuna in me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Jewish people, meaning for their eyes, therefore you shall not lead this congregation into the land that I have given them. Rashi to that sentence points out that the Torah is telling us that but for this event, seemingly Moshe does go into Eretz Israel. And there's another comment from Rashi later in the Midbar. This is chapter 27, sentence 13. 
when Hashem tells Moshe and Parshas Pinchas that he will die just like his brother Aharon died, in fact, says Moshe that, in, sorry, in fact, says the Torah that Moshe is no better than Aharon. They both were meant to die, again, because you, did, you both did not sanctify me at the waters of Meriva. And in every passage, says Rashi, wherever it writes about the death of Moshe and Aaron, you will find that it writes about the offense, meaning they're not sanctifying the name of Hashem. Because the decree had been made against the generation of the wilderness, that they should die in the wilderness, and in order that we should not think that Moshe and Aharon are dying because of the sin of the spies, the Torah goes out of its way to say, in fact, the reason Moshe and Aharon die is because of not sanctifying the name of Hashem at the waters of Meriva. And Rashi brings an interesting parable where a woman is accused of immorality, a different woman is accused of eating the fruits of Shabbis. They both get punished, but they're very different offenses. And the woman who has the lesser offense wants it to be made public that she's not dying for immorality like the major offense of the other woman. Instead, she is being punished for uh, a more minor infraction eating fruits of the seventh year that were not supposed to be eaten. But the point is that from all of this, the sentences and the commentary of Rashi, we can conclude that the reason Moshe is barred from Eretz Israel is because of his not sanctifying Hashem at the waters of Meriva. But the reason that this is so astonishing is because both in Parshas Devarim last week and here in this week's Parsha, Vaschanan, the Torah explicitly states that Hashem was angry at Moshe because of the Jewish people. Hashem was angry at Moshe because of what the Jewish people did, not because of what Moshe did. And the Torah tells us very, very clearly that when Moshe is recounting the sin of the spies, that Hashem says to Moshe, no one is going in except Kalev, the son of Yefuna. He will see it, and I will give him the land and to his descendants. Because of you, says Moshe, because of you Jewish people, Hashem was incensed with me, saying, you shall not enter either. Instead, Yoshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, he attends you, he shall enter it. Imbue him with strength, for he will apportion the land to the Jewish people. And in our parsha, at the beginning of the parsha, it says, this is chapters, uh, 20, ch chapter 3, sentences 25 and 26. This is what Moshe is saying, let me please, I beg, cross over and see the good land on the other side of the Yardin, the good hill country and the Lebanon. But Hashem was wrathful with me on your account. He would not listen to me. Hashem said to me, enough, never speak to me of this matter again. And... Uh, Rashi emphasizes that point. You can look up that. But the bottom line is that the upshot of these passages of both last week and this week is that it's seemingly because of Hashem's anger at the Jewish people that Moshe is constrained from entering Eretz Israel, not because he failed at the waters of Meribah. So how the question, of course, becomes, how can we reconcile the idea of Moshe's culpability as being based on his not sanctifying Hashem at the waters of Meribah versus the concept that Moshe is banned from Eretz Yisrael because of Hashem's anger at the Jewish nation. Now, of course, that brings up the big discussion of Jewish leadership and the responsibility of our leaders. So we know 
that the leadership of the Jewish people is a perilous undertaking based on several verses and rabbinical commentary. And I'm not gonna go through it all, but we're gonna discuss perhaps the most pertinent source of this concept. And that comes from the beginning of Parshas Devarim, where the Torah is outlining Moshe and his leadership of the people and his difficulty in leading the people. And this is a sentence which is directly related to Shabbat in that it is, a, it is a lamentation that Moshe declares regarding his inability to properly lead the Jewish people by himself. Chapter one, sentence 12. How can I bear unaided your troubles, your burdens, and your bickering. Well, does that sound familiar for what's going on currently in the state of Israel? In any event, how can I bear that? The word Eicha is used. And according to Rashi, it's not only that Moshe is saying this, Hashem is telling Moshe, you, Moshe, are not yourself able to bear alone the burdens of the Jewish people. Interestingly, the rabbis teach us that there were three prophets who their prophecies used the word Eicha, Moshe in the Eicha Salavadi sentence, uh, Yeshaya and Yirmiya. Uh, Yirmiya is in the opening uh, verse of Eicha, Eicha Yashavah Badad. And so therefore we see the correlation between Tisha B'Av and this entire concept of Jewish leadership. And Hashem actually ratifies this idea. And therefore Moshe tells the people at the beginning of Pashas Devarim, I cannot bear the burden of you by myself. Hashem your God has multiplied you until you are today as numerous as the stars of the sky. And may Hashem increase you a thousandfold as he promised you, but how can I bear it alone? says Moshe. And therefore, pick from each of your tribes men who are wise, discerning, and experienced, and I will appoint them as your heads. And the people were happy with that proposal. So Moshe took tribal leaders, wise and experienced men, and appointed them as heads over the Jewish people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officials for the tribes. So one more comment of Rashi, which is very, very important, and like I said, uh, really a critical piece in understanding the concept of Jewish leadership. When the Torah says that Moshe said, I am not able to bear alone, I can't bear this alone. Is it possible that Moshe was not able to judge the Jewish people, asks Rashi, the man who brought them forth from Egypt, divided the sea for them, made the manna fall, collected for them the quails, was he not able to judge them? But this is what Moshe said to the people. You know what? Hashem has made you great. And there's a unique feature to you, Jewish people, because Hashem made you superior and placed you higher than your judges, than your leaders, inasmuch as he takes the punishment off you and places it instead upon your leadership. Straightforward Rashi in Devarim. And then he brings a similar concept from Shlomo Malach and Shlomo Amalek essentially says, you know, the judges of this people, meaning the Jewish people, are unlike the judges of other peoples. Because other people, meaning other nations, if their leaders misjudge and they improperly adjudicate, you know, it's not the biggest deal, says Rashi. Yes, they shouldn't do that. It's a mistake, etc. But 
when it comes to the Jewish people, even if there's like a little mistake, the judge is held accountable for the offenses of the people. So from many of the sentences that we've just been learning, we see the tremendous difficulties Moshe incurred because of his leadership of the Jewish people. And a critical piece of the understanding of all of this is the concept that Rashi teaches, that the punishment of the people is placed upon their judges and leadership. Also, that it is specifically Jewish leadership that suffers this terrible outcome, not the judges and leaders of other nations. So here are four questions. Question number one, if we are to posit that what we're talking about in terms of the misjudging or the improper adjudication of constituents, if we are positing that the Jewish leaders are punished even when they have led and judged correctly, why should they suffer if they've done nothing wrong? And if on the other hand, we posit, and this is question number two, that the Jewish leaders have improperly led their followers, and therefore the corollary would be that the non-Jewish leaders have improperly judged, so then why should anybody be different? Jewish judges are responsible to judge correctly, non-Jewish judges are responsible to judge correctly. What's the difference between Jewish and non-Jewish leaders if they're both, so to speak, improperly adjudicating? Question number three is that this word Eicha, as it is used in Parshas Devarim, seems to be describing Moshe Rabbeinu's personal difficulties in handling the numerous challenges of leading a very large and important nation and all of their needs. Why is that word Eicha at all connected to the concept of Yirmiya and his lamenting over the fate of the Jewish people, or Yeshaya and his lamenting over the fate of the Jewish people? This seemingly is Moshe's problem that he's not able to take all of this responsibility himself. And finally, question four, and to me, this is kind of the key question, is if all this is true, why become a Jewish leader? It just seems to be a perilous, dangerous task with no upside. So in order to begin to understand all of this, I would like to share a fundamental concept philosophically and then support it with teachings of the rabbis. And from this, we'll hopefully build our main theme and idea. Hashem's creation only operates properly when the behaviors of humanity are moral and just and good. The ultimate description, of course, of this system of proper behavior is what we call the Torah. Now, we see this specifically from the generation of the flood and many other verses in scripture as well, that when mankind as a whole is becoming corrupt and depraved, the world falls apart. Another good example is the teaching in Pirkei Avos that says, the world stands on three pillars, Torah, service, meaning service of Hashem, divine service, and gemilus chasadim, which we call selfless giving. The Gemara teaches us in Tractate Shabbos that any judge who judges, this is 10a in Shabbos, any judge who judges a true judgment truthfully, yeah, the word truth is used there a lot, Okay, he judges a true judgment truthfully, even if he sits in judgment only one hour, the Torah describes him as if he's become a partner with Hashem in creation. What does that mean? 
What does it mean that a judge who judges properly is becoming a partner with Hashem in creation? So I suggest that this is what we're building as our philosophical basis. Judging properly means that we're putting in the world the right system, the right operating system for the world to function as it is meant. Everything in order in creation, in order for it to be doing what it's supposed to and working properly requires a proper system of judgment. Now, we see also very clearly that this is a message of Mount Sinai and specifically that the notion of Jewish leadership is to properly implement the correct operating technique of creation. So a Jewish leader is helping to ensure that creation operates correctly in all aspects, meaning that the ecology, the, you know, the weather systems that everybody talks about not nowadays, morality, even people's creativity, or even the very laws of physics themselves, and all necessary components of existence will only function correctly to the extent that the Jewish people have a leadership that is guiding them correctly. And that is the message behind that any judge who judges a true judgment truthfully is made a partner with Hashem in creation. Hashem created a perfect system. But in order for that system to work on an ongoing basis, it's necessary for justice to be applied correctly and that people's behaviors are allowing creation to continue to work the way that it was meant to work. Now, this is specifically the Jewish leadership system. And as I mentioned, this was implemented at Mount Sinai. Part of the reason why we find that there was a whole court system implemented before the Torah was given with the Ten Commandments, and that after the Ten Commandments, we have what we call Parshas Mishpatim, the Torah is itself bracketing the event of the giving of the Torah with the concept that justice, Mishpat, must be implemented. And all of that only happens when there's proper Jewish leadership. That's the discussion between Yisrael and Moshe. And that's what Moshe is recounting here at the beginning of Sefer Devarim and Parshas Devarim, that Hashem was ready for the Jewish people to take on the mission of bringing the world to its completion, but that Moshe could not accomplish that by himself. He needed other Jewish leaders to bear the shoulder, to bear and shoulder the burden of that responsibility. Now, of course, the downside of all of this is that when Jewish leadership is not properly effective, then there will be an unraveling of creation. And I want to share with you an idea that perhaps explains a lot of the theme of the book of Echa, because the book of Echa is actually written in Aleph Bey's form. Chapter one, Aleph Bey's Gimel Dalet. Every letter begins with the Aleph Bey's. Chapter two, every letter at the beginning of every sentence follows the order of the Aleph Bey's. Chapter three, you have three times Aleph, three times Bey's, three times Gimel. Chapter four, also the Aleph Bey's. And what I'm suggesting is that the reason for the emphasis on the Aleph Bey's in the book of Yirmiya is because the lamentation of the destruction of the Jewish people is the woeful cry of the breakdown of the system of creation. We know that Hashem created the entire world with the 22 letters of the Aleph Bays, and that 
is itself the DNA of creation. And when that becomes unraveled or undone, that's a very lamentable event. And that's what the word Echa itself is really coming to indicate. And that's why Moshe also uses the word Echa, because if we cannot have an effective Jewish leadership that is producing an effective Jewish nation behavior, we will have an unraveling of creation. And that is the real tragedy of Gullus, of Eicha, because it's not only about the Jewish people, it's about the fact that creation is at a tremendous disadvantage and things simply do not work the way that they're meant when the Jewish people are not being led and therefore acting correctly. So the bottom line is that Moshe's failure at the waters of Meriva was in that he did not bring about a greater sanctification of Hashem. Not that he desecrated the name of Hashem, God forbid. In other words, Moshe needed to succeed at the waters of Meriva, not because what he did was so terrible, but because it meant that the Jewish people were ultimately not able to see what they should have seen and become the people that they should have become. And therefore, in effect, Moshe's leadership did not work. And so the overarching responsibility of Jewish leadership is to be effective in making the operation system of creation function properly and bring about the ultimate completion of Hashem's creation. Now, just to contrast it with non-Jewish leadership, and then we're gonna come back and finish the notion of Jewish leadership responsibility, is that the responsibility of non-Jewish leadership is to make sure that a system of justice exists so that human beings do not sink into chaos and lawlessness. As long as they are trying to implement justice, meaning the non-Jewish justices, all right, as long as they're trying to implement proper systems of, of adjudication, they are fulfilling their responsibility even if they make mistakes in judgment. So therefore they do not need to get punished for their mistakes because yes, ultimately, of course, it would be better if they judge correctly. We're gonna assume that they make mistakes and not everything is correct or they don't know all the facts. But the bottom line is as long as they're trying to have a system of justice, that means that people must be judged and they are held accountable. Even if mistakes are made, they're still doing their job in having a system. But Jewish judges, need to do more than have a system. They have to make sure that everything is operating correctly. All the constituents need to be doing the right actions. When Hashem gave the Jewish people the Torah at Mount Sinai, he gave them the responsibility to bring creation to its ultimate purpose and fulfillment. And so Hashem is angry at Moshe, not because Moshe did something so horribly wrong, but because of the Jewish nation's failure to successfully enter the land of Israel as they were intended, which was to be without weapons and with the obvious presence of Hashem among them, clearly visible to everyone, as it was by the splitting of the Red Sea and Mount Sinai and in the desert, and to be clearly the Am Segula that they were meant to be. So the failure of Moshe to sanctify Hashem was not that he did something so wrong, but it didn't provide the Jewish people with the final opportunity to become who they needed to become. So 
the notion of Jewish leadership as having ultimate responsibility, regardless of if the judge does something wrong, is that the judge has to do everything right. That means it's, it, there's a big difference between doing something wrong or making sure that he is completely effective. And that's the ultimate need of the judge. Now, on a deeper a Jewish judge, on a deeper level, Hashem too is thwarted when the Jewish people do not achieve their ultimate purpose and success. Indeed, this is something that Hashem himself laments. The Gemara in Brachos teaches us that Eliyahu Anavi said to a, a great sage who heard a basketball, he heard a heavenly voice come out. And the rabbi told Eliyahu that he heard a heavenly voice like an echo of Hashem, blessed be he, cooing like a dove and saying, woe to the children due to whose sins I destroyed my house, burned my temple and exiled them among the nations. And Eliyahu said to me, by your life, you should know that's not only that you heard that one time, that voice, that lamenting from Hashem happens three times a day. That Hashem is literally mourning over the fact that he needed to destroy his temple and, and exile the Jewish people from their homeland. So the word Eicha is invoked when the failure of the Jewish people to bring creation to its fulfillment is being lamented. Now, the question becomes, why do we have such a difficult time in having effective Jewish leadership? Why do so many people shy away from positions of responsibility? And ultimately, what would be the upside in taking this responsibility? So first and foremost, I think we need to recognize that at the root of our mindset that look, you know, leadership is difficult, people complain, I may suffer the punishments of the people if I don't do everything correctly. At the root of all of that is the sense that, you know what, it's not my responsibility, let somebody else take care of it. Even better than that is what we experience so much in our times. Um, I'm sure all of you have been parts of conversations where people are trying to figure out what show that they should daven. Which, in which shul they should daven, right? It's a consumer market. Should I daven in this shul? Should I daven in that shul? And if I'm smart and I have enough money, I just open my own shul. And then there's no problems, right? Everybody is a consumer when it comes to shul, school, and even community, right? You, you've been part of those conversations also. Well, which community is going to provide for me every single thing that I need? But never comes the question, what am I doing for my community? How am I going to step in and improve the existing organization and structure? Joseph Rathman shared with me today that his father always told him, send your children to the local Jewish day school. And if you need to work on improving it, step in and do the work to make it better. Right? That kind of mindset is so beyond rare, it's really uh, tragic. And that is what's facing our people today. Yes, we look at the example of Moshe Rabbeinu and other Jewish leaders and we say, hey, wait a second, you know, that's not for me. It's so much work. It's thankless. You know, nobody appreciates, you know, I, I always like to um, do my best in a shul to, to give a thank you to the Gabbai. It's one of the most uh, thankless and uh, least recognized roles 
in, 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 a, in a yeshiva or in a shul, right? There's so much work that goes into it and no glory. But that's really where the work is being done. And so many people shy away from that kind of responsibility, but they're missing the point. Because even if you shy away from doing it, doesn't mean you don't have the ultimate responsibility. So much so that even the people who do it have to make sure that it happens. And when it doesn't happen, they too suffer the consequences of it not happening. So it's true Moshe Rabbeinu did not sin, God forbid, with saying negative reports or accepting negative reports about the land of Israel. He did not fall in lockstep with the bad 10 spies. But nonetheless, for the fact that the Jewish people failed at the time of the 10 spies, Hashem is holding Moshe accountable and will not answer his prayers to be allowed to enter into Eretz Israel because that is everyone's responsibility. And that's what I think we're missing in today's generation. Everybody thinks like a consumer, like a consumer. Nobody wants to take a position of leadership. And then we all turn around and say, well, why hasn't the Mashiach come? I don't get it. Why is the Mashiach actually not here? I don't understand. Doesn't Hashem want to take us out of exile? But if we listen to Moshe Rabbeinu's word, Eicha, it's, I can't do this alone. I need everyone to step in and take responsibility. I certainly need 76,000 plus judges to join with me on the 600,000 Jewish people. But really underneath all that message is the fact that every person really needs to take a leadership role. So although Moshe Rabbeinu is the primary example of a Jewish leader in the sense that he does himself take tremendous responsibility, he's also the primary example of a leader who represents the upside of Jewish leadership. And here we go. What is the this world upside, right? What is the olam hazeh benefit of the Jewish leader? The answer is the Jewish leader is imbued with a special spirit and light and connection to Hashem specifically and only because of his being the leader of Hashem's children and people. And this is taught in several places. One of this um, that I'll mention here is from last week's parsha. It's Rashi in Devarim chapter two, sentence 16. The Torah tells us that after all the generation of the desert passed away because of that fateful Tishabav and the 10 spies, when all of that came to, to an end, Hashem spoke to Moshe, da, 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 da. says Rashi, this is to teach you that during these entire 38 years, during which the Jewish people were under Hashem's censure, that means kind of rejected because of the sin of the spies, the divine speech was not directed towards Moshe in an expression of affection face-to-face -face and with tranquility of mind. That did not happen for 38 years because the Jewish people were in a state of rejection from Hashem. To teach you that the Shekhinah rests upon the prophets only for the sake of the Jewish people. That's what this is teaching us which means that the Jewish leader experiences divine revelation, special light. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu had a special light because of Har Sinai. He gets this special level of connection with Hashem because of the role in taking care of and responsibility for the Jewish people. 
That's what happens with Jewish leaders. Moshe Rabbeinu is the primary example of a leader who is imbued with a special spirit and life, specifically because of his being the leader and the Torah giver of the Jewish people. Indeed, it's Moshe's own spirit that is used to instill the 70 elders and Yehoshua with a divine spirit as well. And interestingly, this is a teaching from Rabbi Kaplan. The rabbis teach us that people who disseminate Torah to the Jewish people are sometimes granted divine guidance, which is a form of divine inspiration and maybe even more, right? The idea is that Hashem cares desperately about the ultimate fate and mission of the Jewish people. And that is to fulfill the Torah the way it was meant, to bring creation to its ultimate completion. And therefore Hashem works as much as possible through the Jewish leaders. And that's the upside of being a Jewish leader. And it's why everybody really needs to step in and become a Jewish leader. Not only I'm saying because of that upside, but because what Hashem cares about is bringing about the full completion of creation. You know, when we say, uh, we say that creation was completed. That's what Hashem did. But then we have to get to another point of completion, which we talk about in the Adon Olam. Some people mistakenly translate that phrase in the Adon Olam to mean after everything is destroyed, Hashem will alone rule. No, that is not what it means. It means after everything has achieved completion, then there will be no doubt that Hashem is the one true ruler, his presence becomes totally revealed and we go on into an infinite relationship with him. That's where we are heading. It's a question of when, and that's what Jewish leadership is meant to accomplish. And so I think what we really have to do as we are uh, thinking and introspecting, uh, you know, heading into Tisha B'Av again, reminding ourselves of the millennia long exile and all the horrific events that began, were triggered by the sin of the spies. We have to remember that it was a failure of Jewish leadership. I'm not talking about everything that Moshe did wrong. I'm talking about everything that all the Jewish people did wrong in that we as a people did not want to accept ultimate responsibility for entering the land of Israel taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, facing up to those giants, recognizing that we have to do our part and then Hashem you know, will do his part, but we have to take responsibility to make it happen and not say, hey, let's go back to Egypt, right? This is too difficult. If we thinking to ourselves, what is the Jewish leadership that we have shunned, that we have said to ourselves, you know what? That's not for me, you know, I'm not, uh, feeling it, you know, I'm worried about the negative consequences of it, you know, that's all fine and dandy. And we could think that we're escaping, you know, the, the, the pitfalls and the punishment that happens to the Jewish leaders. But the truth is, our nation just continues to suffer. And as we see today, what's happening with the infighting between us uh, and the political situation that is currently happening in the land of Israel, if everybody would be focused on the ultimate mission, which is that the project of truth and justice and morality needs to be the ultimate conclusion, right? Then we should be able to figure out how to negotiate, 
how to come to terms, how to come to peace, because we have to remember that the fate of the world really rests with the Jewish people and the Jewish people fate rests on the Jewish people taking responsibility for the mission that the Torah assigned, which is to bring the world to its ultimate fulfillment. And unfortunately, that lamentable fact that it is so hard to accomplish because of our difficulties, the way that we are as people, is exactly what the word Eicha is coming to describe. How could it be that, like today, the state of Israel, the people, the Jewish people have never had a better more economically comfortable, stable overall situation than has been for thousands of years, and we're tearing ourselves apart. How could it be that we're doing that? That's, that's really a baffling question. But the answer is entitlement, the idea that somebody else should take care of it, the idea that we just are deserving of the outcome that we think should be, and we don't really think about what is our part in actually making things work the way that they should, even if it means compromise, or it means, you know, do something now and visit it again later. All of that kind of patience in order for the ultimate uh, project to succeed is where we continue to fail. So hopefully we'll learn from all of this to really step into the leadership, ask ourselves, how can we help our communities? How can we help our institutions? How can we help those that are already taking responsibility how can we all do our part? Okay, with that in mind, I'm gonna wish everybody an easy and a meaningful fast uh, today, tonight and tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we'll have Mashiach come so that uh, we don't have to suffer anymore. Any questions or comments? Comment. Comment. Yes. yes <laughs> I don't think it's a political problem at all. I think it's a, a Torah true problem versus the Hellenists, the Yetzirah, the whatever you want to, you know, label the other side. I think this is, you know, probably an indication of that, you know, we're heading into the home stretch here and there's going to be a big fight um, to try to, for, you know, the, the Torah world against the Nassau Torah world. And I don't think it's political at all. I think it's, it's God versus hedonism. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that people very often um, use politics as sort of labels for other issues. It's not, though. In yeah. this case, right. that thing, it's not, it's, it's not. It's not. The core issue is not political. It's, it's pressed up that way. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But uh, bottom line is that I think, um, you know, it's hard to solve that problem. And part of the solution has to be you know, ideally on both sides, uh, Jews really learning to care uh, about, you know, what their main purpose is and to try to really bring that out about, even though it's very hard to do. Very hard okay. to do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Eric. See you next week. Eva. Okay. Thank you. See you. Rabbi, it's Daphna. Hey, Daphna. Hi. I just want to, um, you know, hold us to a higher standard and be very careful when we say things like the other side, that is very divisive in itself. And we have to be very careful because we all really are on the same side and we just need to help each other. Um, yeah, I think, I think we do. Yeah, yeah we need we everybody to, to really care about, about Jews and, and you know, how to figure out solutions. And usually when people are angry and stupid and um, violent, it's out of fear. Yeah, on the less hard to deal with, but yes. 
I don't disagree with you that. Okay. I just want to be careful that, especially my most wonderful rabbi in his classes is just at the highest, highest standard, which you always are. But I want to suggest that maybe saying, you know, the other side, which didn't come from your mouth first, is okay. Is good. I'm glad that you know that. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. Right. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. Any anyone else? Okay. All right. Well, I, I hope. Uh, yes. I hope everybody has a has a good easy day. Well, can, can I help you? Somebody else? Yeah. Okay. Um, Rabbi Zweig. Oh, yes. <clears throat> I'm. I'm also struck by a sense that the lack of leadership at, at least in our age is isn't simply our failure and, and I, I I think as you look across the rest of society it seems to be something that afflicts that affects um, the broader world and and it's probably has to do with some of the same influences, but I um, I don't know whether you see that as well. Oh, yeah. No, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but it, it's just to me so uh, clear from the Torah that, you know, we have a much greater responsibility in leadership than anyone else. That's part of what a kingdom of Kohanim, you know, requires. Um, I, I might even go so far as to say it's, you know, we might be we might be causing a, a very bad ripple effect. I wouldn't say that we're the only ones at all that are either suffering this way or blame uh, where blame should be put. But I do think that uh, that the more entitled we become as a people, right, and the less responsible, self-responsible, and then responsible for others that we become, uh, the worse it is not only for ourselves but for the world. Right, and we are responsible for everyone, so. Right, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that's Have an easy fast. Thank you, same to all of you.